We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, before we get into the podcast today and listen to Drew being a lunatic, I got to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup. Hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Well, it's always good to win. <laughs> it always feels good to win, first off. You know, I, I know outsiders are probably going to say, well, it wasn't you in there that brought the win. Of course, it, it, it was Fitz, and I, I think it was, a, it was a great effort by not just him, but the entire offense. You know, just him understanding... You know how to get in the groove and you know where to go quickly with the ball and whatnot. I, I think that that's that's what makes Fitz who who he is. And in a way, it it really wasn't as shocking um, tonight. You know to see what had happened. You know, they call him Fitz Magic for a reason. Welcome everybody to an, to the Week 16 edition of your AFC East Roundup podcast. I'm your host Drew Gear, and that's Chris Kruger from the Rock Pal Report. 
And that was two attack of Iola from his post-game presser in the aftermath of their season-salvaging win in Vegas from MiamiDolphins.com. Week 16. In the books. Wow. It's, it's, what a week for the division. It's insane because we don't, like... Last night we didn't we don't have anything to play for. <laughs> like I mean, there was keeping the number two seed playing last night, but like it was relaxing. It was weird. It was a weird At, watch. We had four days in a row of football with Christmas Day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We didn't play till Monday, and just a whole at least for me, outside of fantasy reasons, everything was just flat out relaxing. I know. It was a weird thing. And when you look back at the way it all played out, I mean, from the top, your Buffalo, as we stand today, the Buffalo Bills are 12-3 and and sitting in first place. The Bills, much like Negan in the opening of The Walking Dead Season 7, just served notice that there's, a, that there's somebody new running the show in the AFC East. And that it's no longer up for debate by battering the New England Patriots to pieces in front of the entire country. The Miami Dolphins are 10-4, and four, sitting in second place. I think in one of the more improbable, wild finishes to a game I've ever seen, the Dolphins go on to beat the Raiders to land their first 10-win season since the early 2000s. The Patriots, at 6-9, and nine, are sitting in third place. In losing to Buffalo, they cemented their first losing season since the early 2000s. What, what did you Two, say? It was? 2000, to be exact. 2000. The Patriots went 5-11. and 11. Wow. I mean... I have for you here, in my hand, the world's smallest violin, playing the saddest song ever written. If you listen really hard, you might just be able to hear it. <laughs> and then you got the Jets. The, t- the two-win New York Jets. Where has this team been all year? The fan base continues to live in freefall as they watch their season-long draft plans just evaporate into dust in front of their very eyes. But maybe that means there's some bright spots on the roster? Maybe it means that there's something positive here that they can at least hang their head on, a silver lining for them. And so without further ado, the I think the biggest storyline right now in the division, it's the thing that people are talking about, thing that people are emailing and filling up my DMs about, and it's all this guy's fault we got to talk about the Miami Dolphins winning 26-25 to over the Raiders. And Mr. Alfartiaga is here to not only talk about the quarterback controversy that probably isn't or shouldn't be, and the fact that now I'm getting DMs and tweets from people about it because of his last appearance. Elf, how are you doing down there? I'm doing just fine. 10-5 and five and needing one more. I don't even know what to say about the outcome of that Raiders game. I mean... It was one of, I, I my wife woke up as I'm laying on the couch watching that game unfold, and she goes, "What's your problem? Why?" She's like, she could tell I was irritated. She's like, "Why are you mad? This isn't even like you have no skin in the game in this football game. Why are you angry about this?" And I was like, "I don't under, I don't understand. I just hate bad football." And what I saw was some shenanigans. First of all, Fitzpatrick is a madman. Second of all. Gruden might be one of the worst coaches in the NFL in terms of his players understanding execution and just being assignment sound, playing assignment sound football. He might be Rex Ryan 2.0, and it blows my mind that he's just given carte blanche by this franchise to continue ruining their fa- their fans deserve better. <laughs> and now what we have coming out of this game 
The Dolphins are still alive in the thick of the playoff hunt. And you have a quarterback controversy that won't go away despite whatever your coach says. I think it's fan base driven. And I got to ask the question. Now, the benching of Tua, once is a fluke, twice is somewhat concerning. Can a team really bench its starter three times in a single season? I think they can do it, I think, 16 times because you play 16 <laughs> games. Okay, so so you're of the mindset that this, if this were to continue happening, it still wouldn't rock your faith in the direction of the team as a whole. If it happens next year, after they, they give him all his weapons and he has a full off season, and he doesn't have to rehab a shattered hip, then yeah, then there will be some problems. But, you know, nobody wants to look at any context with, with this kid. You know, he had no off season. He, he was actually cleared for contact like three weeks into the regular season. Three weeks. Okay? So he wasn't even ready for if they had a preseason this year. He wasn't probably – he probably wasn't going to play. So what do we have? We have this terrible quarterback play, which has led us to 13 touchdowns and three turnovers. I don't know when that became bad, but evidently it's bad. His 6-2 and two record, two comeback wins inside of those six wins – a great performance against the Chiefs, Chiefs, one that could have been an epic performance against the Bengals if it weren't for a bunch of drop passes. And then, yeah, he was horrific against Denver. I thought he played a terrible game against the Broncos. In this game, what we're calling terrible is 17 for 22 and very few yards, a 94, I believe, or 96, and a touchdown pass. That's what we're calling terrible. He wasn't pushing the ball downfield, and he actually looked confused to me on a certain, on on a few plays. Now, this is one thing I'll say because I watched this whole game, and it made me want to stick my thumbs directly into my eye sockets at some points because both of your teams just frustrated the hell out of me as I'm trying to watch and enjoy this football game. The Miami game plan early on, for everybody talking about, oh, well, he didn't throw for that many yards. I'm not trying to be a Tua apologist here or a defender. But the game plan almost seemed like the the Chan Gailey game plan they came into that game with almost seemed to be let's throw short stuff and just hope that they suck at tackling the way they usually suck at tackling. Yeah. And instead, they actually connected on a lot. Early on in the game, you saw them just everything that moved got brought down with almost no yards after the catch. Yeah, somebody asked me, you know, it's really hard to have 17 completions and only 94 yards. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, it's really hard to have 17 receptions and only 94 yards. Like, break a tackle. That's it. You know? But then interesting interesting enough, uh, at the end of the game, you know, when Gaskins gives the Dolphins the lead, he caught a seven-yard pass and then had 52 yards and run after the catch exactly. for a touchdown. And, and when you go back, and if, if anybody out there who's been watching or paying attention to the Raiders, that's how you beat them. They're not assignment sound because they're coached by a bum. Their coach is a bum with a terrible haircut who needs him and the GM. I, Chris, mark my words on this. In three years, both of them will be back on TV. All right. There's no way either one of them, Mayock or Gruden, has a job in football in three years. But so that's that's the recipe for beating this team because they're just poor at executing plays. They don't do well on defense. They're not organized. And so with that, you saw over time that Chan Gailey, hey, dink and dunk, 
as soon as you scared them with a couple shots across the bow from Ryan Fitzpatrick, which was the change. When you saw Fitzpatrick get inserted into the lineup, the first thing he did was he takes a shot downfield to Gasicki, and even though it didn't connect, you saw the safeties from that point on, the safeties were backed out of the box. They backed way off because they were just like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, he's actually going to throw it. we got to get out of here. And the rest of the game, you your offense kind of had them on their heels in that regard. When you look at it in terms of being a quarterback controversy, I know long-term, Tua, probably, Tua obviously has more upside long-term than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that the Dolphins fans who are currently calling for you guys to draft another quarterback this year are lunatics. You're dumb. You're like radio callers over at WGR 550 talking about cutting players without understanding how a salary cap works. I mean, these people shouldn't be paid any attention to. But you personally, looking at what's at stake, which quarterback out of the two right now with the collection of talent you currently have healthy on hand gives Miami the best chance to win? Tua Tungvalu, because he will not turn it over. And it's as simple as that. Okay. We, we we now have equal sample sizes, okay, of actual playing time. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, in his playing time, has 10. Let me see. It's more than that, actually. It's You, you got to add the other two. So we're talking about 11 turnovers. Two has three. And this is the equal amount of quarters, equal amount of snaps as, start, as starting quarterbacks. Okay. So, you know, 11 – against three, and then when you're talking touchdowns, Fitzpatrick has one more. So for all the stuff about, okay, you know, he has, you know, he's he opens up the offense, that's all ridiculous stuff. It just is. <laughs> They're buzzwords. It's stuff people throw. It's just buzzwords. Yeah. And, you know, I, I gave you the stat last week, and, you know, I guess this week it's a little bit skewed because Fitzpatrick put up a, a couple of points in this game. He put up 10 points in relief. But you gotta, you gotta understand. Before this week, Tua's offense was outscoring Fitzpatrick's offense. Those are just facts. They, you know, they, there's nothing else to talk about. And and I said it also on the three yards per carry account. You cannot go on TV and say Brian Flores deserves Coach of the Year, and then say that he's blowing the biggest decision a coach makes every week, week <laughs> in and week out. It's just not possible. You can't do that. Then you gotta say, okay, he's not Coach of the Year because he's blowing the quarterback decision. So you either agree with him or you don't. But don't call him coach of the year and then say, okay, he's he's terrible at managing these quarterbacks. He's playing the wrong one. <laughs> playing the wrong one is such a hard thing to nail down because I'm, like, I'm looking at my notes here that I have for this conversation. Well, we're pretty good at that historically, Doug Flutie and Rob Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. Because here's what you know. Here's what this is. You've got two quarterbacks with two different skill sets, just like we did in the in the example Chris just gave you. Fitz clearly has more downfield throwing ability, just in terms of his willingness to just chuck it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has he 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 gives no he gives no f's. He doesn't care. He'll throw it into double coverage, even if it's an ill advised pass. I mean, the, the the pass that he made that ultimately went on to win you guys the game on Saturday is one of those balls that nine times out of ten, something bad happens when you huck a ball up like that. If there's not that pass made in conjunction with a busted coverage, that's probably either an interception or at, at, at least a batted pass. And when you look at that miss to Gasicki in the end zone, 
where he's down there and he just, he rushed the play. If he had waited one more second, just stood in the pocket, let the play develop just a hair longer, and then delivered a catchable ball, you're talking about six points. And instead, he rushes a throw to Gasicki, which Gasicki has a monster catch radius, and he somehow overthrows him in the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. He's going, it right over his head. He's going to rush things in pressure situations because that's who Fitzpatrick is. It's just encoded into his DNA. You, two is a little more, he's not going to give you that downfield dynamic passing, but what he's going to do is he's going to make fewer mistakes like that. And so you got to take the good with the bad. And when I look at that, I think of Lossman and Holcomb. You remember that, Chris? The constant back and forth in hard moments where they'd pull Lossman after he had a bad game and they'd put in Holcomb. And then Holcomb would get a few starts and Holcomb wouldn't, and he, he was a backup quarterback for a reason. So then they'd put Lossman back in eventually. And it's like, listen, you're actually derailing his development when it comes to playing through tough moments and tough learning from tragedy playing out in the football field. Is there any, I mean, it doesn't sound like it. Is there any fear in your mind that this could affect his development if he keeps getting yo-yoed in and out of the starting lineup? No. And, and one thing that can affect his development, in my opinion, is the two different playbooks. And make no mistake, you know, at times they were playing basically on the same playbook. And it was just when Fitzpatrick actually got in, which was against Denver and against the Raiders, they just got more desperate and they started throwing it all over the lot and they started spreading out the field. But in this last game, a lot of the things that Gasecki uh, that, uh, that they ran with Gasecki, especially that seam pass. And then that, uh, that arrow route that they ran with him where he ran away from that linebacker for that 20 yard gain early on when Fitzpatrick came in, those are things that they just didn't give Tua to run. Mm-hmm. Tua, they were they were running a lot of two and even three tight ends at times. And they even brought in a fullback with Tua. They were running the ball a lot more. They were doing more play action. It was a much more conservative game plan. And it seems like that that was their game plan and that's what they were going to run. Now, with Fitzpatrick, all of a sudden, they just opened it all up. And it was... It's that YOLO offense that they run with him. That, you know, it's you know, just you know, just Yahoo, just throw it all the way downfield, and hopefully things good, good things happen. And that, you know, and who knows? I, this time it worked. It didn't work against Denver. You got to understand against Denver, Tua was down a touchdown. In my opinion, they should have kept him in because the result of that was that Ryan Fitzpatrick almost threw three interceptions and then did throw the losing interception in the end zone as he was trying to tie it. Yeah, Bills so. fans know that feeling. Trust me, we, mm-hmm. we we feel your pain. So, as we, I mean, obviously, two is the starter, but to your point, the coaching staff seems to have a hard time, or at least the offensive coordinator, in giving two a f- full reign to run this offense. And if that's the case, and if they're not going to give him those types of plays... But you know that they they know that they've got a Fitzpatrick waiting in the wings who they can turn to, and it, they... They're not gun-shy about doing it. How short is Tua's leash in must-win games? That are, I mean, there's, you, you guys are now at the point of the season where every game from here on out that you get to play is a must-win. How short is Tua's leash, do you think, given how the coaches have treated him? Well, if he looks like, if he, looked like he did against the, the Raiders where he was just wasn't pushing the ball down the field and then he had the three consecutive three and outs, and that's what did it then, yeah, you could see, you know, the hook coming out for him again. But then you have also other examples like the Chiefs game where they were down big and they stuck with it. 
and he brought them back in the second half, throwing the ball all over the lot and running essentially Ryan Fitzpatrick's playbook. And Tua, make no mistake, is best in empty and best in that no huddle. He's best throwing to a lot of targets, not in two and three tight end sets with a fullback and running it out of the eye formation and then play action. It's not his game. It's just not his game. There's just way too much of the same stuff and not enough of the things that he is best at. He's best at RPO. He's best at empty. He's best at five wide. So with all of that in mind, you guys have this gigantic matchup with Buffalo coming this week, and it, I, I love it. I love the fact that there's meaningful football to be played between our teams for the first time in what feels like 20 years. I mean, I can't tell you the last – Chris, do you remember a game in the last 10 that actually meant anything? Like, really felt like it was going to be a game. No. Not like, hey, we're like in 2017 when we rolled in there and said, okay, they're not very good. We're just going to kind of mop up. Hopefully we hopefully we don't screw this up. We get the win and we keep our fingers crossed. Somebody else takes care of business for us. No, it's got to be 20, 25 years since we've had a meaningful game against the Miami Dolphins. So when I think I got one. I think I remember one. Uh, is with Tannehill. He went into Buffalo needing to win one of the last two games. And I know he lost in Buffalo. Then he came home against the Jets and lost against the Jets. And we missed the playoffs with Joe Philbin. I don't know ah, what year that was. Joe Philbin. I forgot a, that that guy existed. I wish I had a bell that I could ring every time on this podcast as we talk to other people who have different frames of reference. Because we, as Buffalo fans, get tunnel vision. I need a bell that I can ring every time someone brings up a crappy coach. Well, mine, my Because there's a million of them out there that have come and gone through the AFC East over the last... My favorite's Cam Cameron. So that might have been, I don't know, 2014 maybe? So, I don't know. so you guys have this big matchup against Buffalo. Is there any concern from your side of the fence? Are you nervous about this game? I mean, I understand that right now it's up in the air. I mean, they Vegas pulled the line. So it's one of those things where it's up in the air as to whether the Bills are actually going to even try, whether they're going to put their starters out there. But they do have something to play for if they really deem that that number two seed is worth it. So in that way... Are you concerned that if the Buffalo Bills decide we need that number two seed and we're going to come to play on on Sunday, that you guys are you guys are going to have to go toe to toe with that? Are you concerned or are you confident that you guys can pull out a win and make the postseason? Uh, I, I got to be you know fine with what they've built so far. They have the number one defense in the NFL. You know I don't care what anybody says, but and we seem to have a lot of support from the retired referee community, but we got absolutely screwed on those last two two calls against the, the Raiders. So we actually should have won that game a little bit more comfortably. That wasn't pass interference, and that was pass interference on Aguilar on his play against Byron Jones. So, yeah, I think I'm fine with it. I don't think the Bills are going to play anybody because the Steelers kind of let the cat out of the bag today saying that they're arresting people. And they're kind of in a similar spot. Like, they can, they can knock the, the Cleveland Browns out of the playoffs and grab the two seed, right? And then today your coach kind of said, uh, you know, he's keeping it under wraps. <laughs> the only thing that you can keep under wraps is that you're going to actually sit everybody, you know, on, on Sunday. So I, I'm pretty certain that that's what your coach is probably going to do. It would be one of the greatest things, one of the greatest troll jobs ever if he talks like that all week. 
and then just surprise. We're not not only are we starting everybody, but we're putting John Brown out there. We're going to give him fifty. Yeah, and what also, what's also instructive is that the opening line came out and it was minus five and a half Buffalo, and then they pulled it within an hour. Yes. Then they reopened it at minus one and a half. Yeah. For Buffalo, and they got bet down to minus one. So that that kind of tells you all you need to know. <sighs> it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But either way, I'm just happy that we have. Two teams that we can talk about going forward into the future as being the future of the AFC East here over the next few, at least the next few years, and maybe even beyond that. I'm excited. Even better was, even better was all the help that we got this past Sunday. As far as getting in, you know, any one of three teams can lose and we get in. So we get a lot of help. But I don't know if you paid attention to the draft help that we got this past Sunday. Don't even, if the Texans lose. That's one of the most atrocious things I've ever seen. That and team, they're going to lose because they're going to play the Tennessee Titans, and the Tennessee Titans are playing everybody, and they need the game. So, the Dolphins will have the third overall pick in this coming draft. How is a team about to qualify for the postseason, Chris, and they get to pick in the top three? Bill O'Brien. That's what happened. Why? I wish Brandon Bean had just gotten that in his head a little bit sooner. Like, hey, Let's make some deals with Bill O'Brien. This guy's yeah. a boob. I was with my guys on the, on, the on, on a on a chat on a WhatsApp chat that we have for football Sundays, and they were telling me, "Are you paying attention to what's going on in the NFL? Because we moved all the way up from like ninth to third, and now we're essentially going to get the third pick. It's going to happen." All right. Well, I look forward to seeing what that looks like in the coming weeks and in the coming years. Elf, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social? Of course, on the Three Yards Per Carry uh, account on Twitter, that's the number three, Yards Per Carry. You can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. The NBA is back in action, and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline online.ag that's blue wire all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts and so with that we take a look at our own buffalo bills the buffalo bills winning in foxborough 38 to 9 over the new england patriots our full recap and playoff discussion with wgr 550's nate geary you can hear that over at our rock power report podcast if you haven't already gone to check that out <sighs> bills dolphins bills dolphins now we've said it a lot of times here on this show and other various podcasts, for as much as I hated the Patriots and wanted to beat them so badly that I've considered selling some body parts on the black market just to make it happen, I don't consider what we experienced over the last 20 years with them a true rivalry. Would you agree with me on that? I have never considered the Patriots to be an actual rival of the Bills. And if you think otherwise, you're wrong. To have a rivalry... It requires a little back and forth. There needs to be some history there. There needs to be the correct amount. Each team has to have a certain amount of Schadenfreude for the other, right? Yes. It can't just be one team beating another one to a pulp and their fans feeling salty about it. That's not what a rivalry is. A rivalry 
is two teams that are going to constantly bump each other, kind of go tit for tat with each other. That's what I think of anyway. There's something about this upcoming game against the Miami Dolphins this week that feels like when you bump into someone that you haven't seen in years and you used to be friends with. I mean, I don't know if it's the years that I spent as a kid watching the Kelly and Marino games or the squish the fish days at school every Friday before Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills. Everyone would, there was face painting going on. They You were allowed to wear all your Bills stuff. Like it, it was celebrated by not just as children in school, but it was everywhere. It was citywide. And then over the course of the decade, neither team was ultimately very good. <laughs> and that slowly but surely just died, just died, withered and died on the vine. When's the last time you remember this matchup having any kind of juice whatsoever? Probably the early 2000s or maybe late 90s. Because I think in the early 2000s when they had Dave Wanstead and Jay Fiedler and Ricky Williams, it seems like we were playing Miami with shots at the last playoff spot. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you know, this rivalry hasn't existed in... 25 years. And yet here we are. We're the only two we're the only two competitive teams in our division. And when you look at it historically, I mean the Dolphins hold the series advantage 61 to 51. It's because we were over the 70s. Yes, they beat our asses in the 70s. And then over the but over the last decade the Bills lead the series 13 to 8. Mostly a byproduct of Ryan Tannehill's just inexplicable or Adam Gase. Ryan Tannehill, even without Gase, couldn't win in Buffalo. Like, he no. would come here and have some of the most, his most embarrassing performances yes. in Buffalo. And then when you look back at the rivalry over my lifetime, there's memories tied to those games. And like I said, some of it's positive, some of it's not. I mean, I can think of a handful just right off the top. The 1990 divisional round game. I was five. But it was the first playoff game I remember seeing, and it sticks in my mind because of the amount of snow that fell during that game. I mean, it was a blizzard by the end of it. Yeah, I don't have any recollection of that game. But that's probably because after the divisional round is the AFC Championship where we just blew out the Raiders 51-3, to in which I believe the week before the Raiders played the Bengals, that's where we saw the end of Bo Jackson. Yes. And then... What about that? Ex- what about the Christmas Eve game? The one that we knew Rex Ryan was gonna blow. Oh yeah, you left that game. I left. I walked out of that game. I remember looking around. I looked at Potter and I go, Potter, it's Christmas Eve. What the hell are we still doing here? Yeah, I stayed. Rex is gonna botch this shit. We're we're leaving. And and I remember Chris, rem- you stayed. Remember ten men on the field? Yeah. For a fifty yard run to set up the game winning field goal. Yep. And I'll never forget that game. Because of an encounter with a belligerent, just a belligerent woman manhandling drunk in the parking lot, which led to me kind of unapologetically stealing his taco dip. Because it was either that, it was either I was going to leave, or I was going to end up having to fight him, despite the fact that his girlfriend, for some reason, didn't want it to happen. And so the only way I could reconcile it all in my head was, all right, well, this guy's a scumbag, but at least he doesn't get any more of this taco dip because I'm taking it. I still see the Pyrex dish. I still have it. And sometimes I'll go to cook something in it, and I just start laughing. And my wife knows. She'll be in the other room, and she's just like, it was years ago, Drew. Get over it. Nope. It'll always be funny. (laughs) Always be funny that I stole that guy's taco dip. (laughs) 
What about the Carlos Williams game? I drunkenly called in to WGR 550 following that game and stream of consciousness yelled at Chopin the Bulldog about how Carlos Williams was the heir to LaShawn McCoy. I wish I had that on uh, in my Drew Gear audio <laughs> vault. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. The Sage Rosenfels game. Yeah, this one will take you back. I remember I was in college and I was working my job at the dining hall and we were cleaning and I'm watching the game on the TVs. The Bills are throttling them, right? Jay Fiedler is having an absolute bomb of a day. We're winning 21-0 and then we knock him out of the game in the fourth quarter. And Sage Rosenfeld comes in and inexorably just crushes our defense in the fourth quarter because we had we were totally unprepared for what the offense would look like with him at the helm. They score 20, 21 fourth quarter points, and with six seconds on the clock, a Chris Chambers touchdown. As time expires, kick the field goal to kick the point after to win the game. I don't know that. I remember walking back to my dorm room just numb, <laughs> just numb. Like what the hell just happened to me? We were winning twenty one nothing. And then the twenty seventeen week seventeen matchup. I mean, Miami didn't put up much of a fight, but we get to see Kyle Williams. Score a touchdown. Score a rushing touchdown in what could have been his farewell performance. There's so much history between these teams. I'm sure you guys out there listening to this, some of you older, some of you younger, you have your own games that you can remember back to when you think of rivalry Dolphins-Bills. Yeah, and, tweet at us any of your stories you have or email us. Yeah, at Rock Power Report or rockpowerreport716 at gmail.com. But now here we are. We're half a week away from the first meaningful matchup where both teams have something to win here. Now, it still has yet to be seen whether and what, what track the Bills are going to take. That was something we talked about in the Rock Power Report with Nate Geary. Was that, I mean, you see the Steelers, they've already said that they're going to bench, they're going to sit Ben Roethlisberger. They're going to play Mason Rudolph. Even though the number two seed for them is still up for grabs, they're going to punt. And in an offense, Chris, and I can see this, in years where, as a Steelers offense, you had a running game where your running game could carry some of the load for your offense, I could see that benching Ben Roethlisberger might not be seen as that big of a deal because you'd think, okay, a dominant defensive performance, a suspect Cleveland Browns team, a quarterback who's not going to hopefully not turn the ball over too much. We're just going to feed the running game and let them do the heavy lifting. Their running game is non-existent, which means Mason Rudolph is going to have to win them that game. Where's your trust level with that? I don't know. Is Mike Gundy the OC? (laughs) Mike Gundy. Yeah, that mullet, the OC. I mean, I'm not sure mullets are even allowed in Pittsburgh, but I don't put any faith in, in that. I mean, that's it's a huge game for the Browns. Huge game for the Browns, and it's a huge game for the Bills. But it's going to be happening simultaneously with our game, but now that we know that they're going to be benching their quarterback, it gives pause to, hey, we go out here and win this game, we are the number two seed. And it sounds like the Steelers aren't interested in competing with us for it, so all we got to do is squeak out a win. So do you go out there with your starters and play to win? I don't know. And, and that, though, when you think about now step outside of that and look at that for a second. For the first time in decades, you have the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills about to play a football game. Both teams having what they feel like are real quarterbacks at the helm. Star players on their roster that they think can propel them to something bigger. And they have to get 
they each have to get over the other one in order to get where they want to go. That's Chris, I, I, I'm I'm excited about this game. Let's talk about being relaxed in the run up to Monday Night Football. Yeah, when we, when we recapped the game, you I, should be relaxed for Sunday. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this because it's the first time we've played them where both teams, like I said, both teams have something to lose here. Miami's fighting for their lives right now. A loss and an indie win knocks them out of the postseason potentially. I mean, it's they have to win to control their own destiny. And the Buffalo Bills have something in the number two seed that I think holds value in terms of who you're going to see as matchups and in terms of what home field advantage could be for you, even if it's just without without travel. And then when you take a step back out of that and you look around the division and see the state of things, it's clear that not just in 2020, but I'm going to go on record and say that for at least another four or five years to come, it's going to be Miami and Buffalo jockeying for who's going to be on top and who's going to be the person fighting for their lives in week 17. I feel like this is the first in a number of important games these teams are going to play each other. I'd 100%, I'd 100% agree with that. Over the next four or five years. And that has me incredibly excited. I think, I think any Bills fan out there should be excited about the state of the Dolphins because as our team improves, it means you're finally going to get that matchup in your division you want, right? Yeah. A rivalry you can care about, the one that has history, two teams that are seemingly on a similar pace to be good over the next few years. It feels like a revival of what most of us grew up with. Something fun. And so in that way, Sunday's more than just a singular game to me. I really do hope it's just a first chapter in something that we've needed throughout this 20 years of mediocrity, a real rivalry. And to that, I raise a glass and say, hey, may the best team not wearing teal win. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Now strap in and open a fresh one if you can, because this conversation is going to be gold. Here to, here to represent for his New England Patriots as they come on on the receiving end of that ridiculous loss on Monday Night Football last night, Mr. Christian Simonelli. Christian, how you feeling today, brother? What do you want? What? <laughs> What do you want from my life? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Oh, you and Mark Schofield, two of two of the bright oh. spots of my entire day. I listened to his podcast, The Sco Show over at patspulpit.com. For any Bills fan out there who wants to go and just bask in it the way I, I listened to it twice. That's that's how much that's how petty I am. My favorite he, the, Chris, the podcast is entitled Nothing Matters. Nothing yeah. really matters. And one of the one of the funniest lines in the podcast is he goes, he's talking about how there, there was just too much to criticize from the whole game or too much that would just enrage a Patriots fan. And he pointed out punting on fourth and four when the score is 31 to nine because even Bill Belichick knows nothing matters. He goes, even Bill, he goes, even they know nothing matters. Go, eat at Arby's. Go, go do whatever you're going to do. Because nothing matters. Let, let's all. What are we doing here? Let's all just go home. Ah, oh, I. We wanted to bring you on tonight to talk about the fan perspective, the end of the golden era of Patriots football, and a fan base that's kind of staring into the unknown right now. What is it like watching this dynasty come to a really just just ending in undeniable fashion? Well, first of all, I just to go back to the Schofield um, podcast real quick, I appreciate the pettiness listening to it twice because <laughs> in the old days, as a Patriots fan, I would love to go to opposing teams' websites or major newspapers and read about how the team threw up on themselves and lost. So I appreciate the pettiness. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. I love it. We're uh, we're staring into the abyss right now. I mean, this is this is unknown territory for a lot of us. Um, you know, I go back really to the Bill Parcells era in in 1993 when when he was hired as a coach is when I really began seriously following the team as a kid of 14 years old. Um, and back then, you know, we were we had nothing. You know, we hadn't we hadn't drafted Drew Bledsoe. We didn't have anybody. We had nobody. So we have nobody now. Um, Nobody that I would think you can look at and say is a cornerstone to build around. This is a total, I think I mentioned this last time, this is a total tear down to the studs um, rebuild. No question about it. And it's uh, it's foreign territory. It's been a long time, certainly. And um, it's, it's not, and it's not going to happen overnight, despite all the prognosticators saying that, you know, they'll have a decent draft pick and they got a lot of cap space. Um, this is going to take a little bit. Now, you know because you listened to the show, but we talked a few weeks ago with Mike Debate from over Locked on Patriots about the fallout of your team's elimination regarding yep. pundits both locally and nationally. 
as well as portions of the fan base, which I think there is a trickle-down effect from one level to the next level to the next, actually having the balls to publicly call for Bill Belichick's job. Have people calmed down? I mean, kind of of like, I, I think about Jets fans. They were apoplectic after their team blew their chance at Trevor Lawrence by winning that one football game. And then the next atrocity, they come along, they win a game. The fan base doesn't seem like they're that riled up. I mean, we're going to have to ask him later tonight. But everyone seems like they've just kind of accepted things for what they are. Have fans calmed down? Or did last night's game, I mean, what does that do to the fan psyche, especially those who are already on the ledge? It pushed them over it. I mean, if, if today's talk radio shows are any indication, it's as high as ever. It's... Um, People are, people are priceless. They are. They're beautiful. Um, we'll give Bill this year, but if we don't see any progress next year, show him the door. <laughs> um, I mean, it's amazing. It's like it's like twenty years never happened. I mean, I, and, and and to me, a lot of that stems from Bill's abrasiveness over the years and his stubbornness and his dealing with the media. I think is really what pisses a lot of people off, and especially a lot of the media, but 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 so also a lot of the fans. So I think there's, there's, there's a little bit of that to it as well. Like, screw this guy. He's always been a dink and he's losing. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Ha, ha, ha. So I really don't think that's that's the tell, like, tail sign of a real fan, you know, that, that really support the team and logically look at it. Um, has has his dra- Have his drafts been terrible? God, yeah. Look at that graphic last night on ESPN comparing the last four Bills drafts to the Patriots' four uh, drafts. Uh, it was like it wasn't even close. It was just embarrassing. So he's had bad drafts. He got the rug pulled out from under him with Jimmy G and the owner. I don't care what anybody says. The owner made him get rid of Jimmy G. But that was three years ago now. Okay, and he's had plenty of time to address the quarterback position, and he hasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean the real lunatics, the real the real psychos are, are, are calling for his head. They are. Yeah, they're calling for a set. They, at the very least, at the bare minimum, the majority of people want him to give up some of the personnel responsibility and hand it over to, uh, you know, a GM, another scout, and put put more trust in, in those types of people. As you're watching that game last night, what was the moment? What was the moment when you knew it was over? To me, a bird, the football hit him right in the helmet, hit him right in the face, guard, and it was. Cam Cam couldn't have thrown a better pass. It's probably the best pass he's thrown all year, with the exception of the bomb that he threw the Judy that Julian Edelman a week two against the Seahawks. It was a perfect throw, and it and it held and hit Bird right in the grill, right off his visor, and it just dropped the ball. And I go, they're going to get steamrolled. I said because if there was an opportunity for them to 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 go up a score and to to have any momentum at all, that was it. And once I saw that, I go. They're dead. That's the best pass he's going to throw all night. They're dead, and and then from there on out, it was it was a total bloodbath. I mean, they. And to your point, Cam doesn't get many good ones, so don't waste him when he does. Right. As a fan watching Cam Newton, you came on our podcast at the. I I almost had Chris go back and harvest the audio. That's how petty I was feeling today. When they announced <laughs> that you guys had signed Cam Newton, we brought you on the show to talk about what you. Th- your your feeling because there was a lot from the national pundit community talking about how Cam Newton suddenly made you guys Super Bowl contenders and that Cam Newton would at least get you guys to the playoffs because anything else I mean with Bill Belichick and to Cam Newton who how could this not work 
So to watch him go play the game that he played last night and to get benched, to get benched halfway through the third quarter. I mean, I, I, I was telling Chris during the game, I don't remember a time that the Buffalo Bills has, have ever chased a Patriots starting quarterback off the field. I don't, I can't recall. <sighs> now that as a fan, you've seen this, I mean, you talk about a rebuild, you got to ask the question, what is the quarterback position for the Patriots? I mean, I've seen things about, I mean, we, we kind of talked about how Cam Newton was not going to have the impact because I've watched enough of his play that I didn't think he had anything left. And he's gone on to illustrate that. Now the question is, what's next? I mean, first of all, Cam Newton gets humbled. Stidham comes in and he doesn't really change the momentum of the game one iota. They might as well have left Cam Newton in. I mean, he did, had a right. little bit more zip on the ball downfield, but really there was no one open for him to throw to. And when there were, his throws weren't great. So... With that in mind, now you're looking at a team that has no quarterback room. You've got some young defensive talent. I mean, when we talk about the future, because last night, <laughs> last night when it was over, did you watch? First of all, did you watch it in its entirety? I need to know. Oh yeah, I totally hate watched the rest of the whole game. Yeah, <sighs> absolutely. And did you? Oh yeah, and, no, there's good good old fashioned hate watching. Yep. Did you see the moment that Belichick and Sean McDermott had? Oh, listen, he hugged him like he was his brother. Did you see that embrace? Did you see the embrace? Did you see the embrace? Do you want to know what that is? Honestly, that is respect That's for McDermott it. and the pro and your guys' program. Oh, That's exactly what that was. I was waxing poetic about it over in our Rockpile Report podcast this week, just about what that was. And how that's the image that I'll walk away from this game. It's going to be forever seared in my brain. The day I saw Bill Belichick crack and actually have to be just, he had to admit that he had a peer on the football field. Because I've never seen him behave like that. So now for you as a fan to see that and to know, hey, there's another, there's finally after 20 years of you guys running the division, there's there's another coach in this division who's younger probably has more time, has a better roster now, and you've got this rebuild in front of you. And to your point, you haven't really had to go through this in your life since you were a teenager. And for most of your adult life, the Patriots have been kind of the gold standard of the NFL, right? Right. Now you've got a, yeah, you've got a Hall of Fame coach who, just between age and momentum and everything else, who knows what the future is as far as the leadership of this team, of this franchise. Knowing what you've seen from the team this year and the players that make up its roster, and even knowing the age of the players who are returning who opted out. I mean, that was at the beginning of the season. You heard a lot of Patriots fans going, oh, well, this, uh, Hightower opted out, and Chung opted out. And, and Marcus Cannon. And, and this... <laughs> 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 what a what a callback. So <laughs> when all these guys opted out, when you think about them coming back with their age and just what they're going to be on the football field, that's still not enough to really make you feel good about the long-term future of this team. And then you figure you've got this new team in the division that seems to have his shit together. Does this rebuild feel bigger now, in, in kind of in the aftermath of this game, than it did back at the beginning of the season? Absolutely. Um, 
you know, you mentioned the quarterback room. The quarterback room, in my opinion, is going to look totally different than it than it than it did this year. My hope is that they somehow acquire a veteran, somebody in the you know, hate to say it, but Ryan Fitzpatrick type mold and draft a quarterback. Those opt outs you mentioned, there's no guarantee they come back. Um, in the broadcast last night, you know, they were talking about uh, I think it was Steve Levy said, you know, he was talking about Bill Belichick and about the opt outs and he said, you know, oh gee, you know, you really got hit with those opt outs the most in the league, eight of them and you know, and, and you know, that's you know, but at least you got those guys coming back next year and Bill was quick to say nobody said they're coming back next year. My contention is they're probably not. Um, you got guys that are on the other side of 30 that have won championships, that have made their money. Why come back? I mean, I, you know, they're all, listen, the ones that play the longest, like Brady, are absolute lunatics and they're maniacal and they're psychos. And they love to play and that's all they want to do. And that's great if they play for your team. But the most normal, normal people like the rest of us <laughs> will say, let me get out of here while I still got my, my, my brain intact. I've made my money. I, I got my rings. I have, you know, I'll have my family. I'm good. Um, and Buffalo playing so well this year and really Allen emerging. Miami looking pretty good. Um, two is still very raw, but that, that there's another team that is actually going to not just be a walk over the Jets. I have no idea what they are, or what they're going to be, but yeah, the re- That's why I said a couple years. It's not going to be next year. They're great because they have all this money and they're going to do this and that. No, like this is going to take a little bit because for the first time in a long time, you have a division that is actually going to be. You, you're going to have to go through. Um, I think the statistics since Belichick was hired is that the AFC East has hired 28 or 29 coaches since he's been head coach of the Patriots. You have some stability in Buffalo. Looks like you're going to have some stability in Miami. Um, those were turnstiles, just like the Jets all those years. So, yeah, it's um, this is going to be a long haul. Chris, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people, huh? Exactly. <laughs> you know. You know, Christian's been coming on the show since basically our inception five years ago, and there have been a handful of times where he's talked us into, like, oh, this might be the year, and for it to finally come to fruition, it's just glorious. It feels real good. I'm not going to lie to you. It feels really good to watch this all fall apart for you guys. I'm not gonna, I'm not even going to try to hide it, Christian. It, it's a nice feeling for me. And well, it should. It should be. <laughs> I'd feel good if I was in your shoes, too. I mean, it's a shame you haven't been able to actually physically be there and watch the team this year. Ugh. We had to watch it from afar, but hey, still. I'll tell you, it's it just really has been something to watch the changing of the guard in this division play out over the course of the year. It's going to be crazy to see what the future holds, and I just hope that the fan base, <laughs> the fan base in New England doesn't eat itself alive. Although if it does... Again, Chris, I'll get out that tiny little violin, and I will play you guys the saddest song ever written. <laughs> Christian, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social? You can find me on Twitter, at Chris with a T-I-A-N, and give me a follow, and I'll follow you back. I, uh, as I always mention, I love going back and forth with fans of, of all teams, not just the Bills, but of all teams. But, you know, Bills are good people, man. Bills Mafia, you guys are all right. You guys are okay. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'll be cheering for you. You know, I'll be cheering for you. Now, Now, here's the thing. Now, if you make it to the dance and you just happen to make it 
And on the other side of the field is going to be a guy in a orange uniform, and he formerly was with the team for 20 years. I may have to pick a side then. I don't know. I'm just saying, if, if it gets that far, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I'll be cheering for at that point. Oh, Jesus. If, if it's Bill's against Chris wouldn't that be the most fitting thing the Bills make the Super Bowl and it's Bills against Bucks against Buccaneers and Tom Brady and they wear those hideous (laughs) Sherbert uniforms I actually like the the old that old logo but I believe the the Super Bowl is in Tampa this year right yep it is right God all right. Don't, don't don't speak that evil into existence, Simonelli. But thanks for joining us. That's my only hope. All right, you guys, let's listen up. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. So let's see some hustle. Let's jack it up a little. I got a feeling things are about to turn around for us. <laughs> and as we close out this week's AFC East Roundup, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the team also on a winning streak here in the AFC East in the New York Jets, who just won 23-16 to against the Cleveland Browns. Their head coach is channeling his inner uh, Lou Brown, and here to talk about it with us tonight is Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you doing, sir? How'd you like to manage the Cleveland Indians, Lou? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It's your chance to manage in the big leagues. I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Classic stuff. Yeah, that's about how I feel about it. When somebody says, oh, the Jets have a two-game winning streak. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? They haven't won games all year. Aren't you happy? I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> that is about the sum of it, sir. It's inc- as I'm sitting, I'm sitting at my table in the basement. You know, it's a bored Sunday because there's no Bills football on, and I'm I can't I don't know what to do with these days. I'm glad that these primetime games have come to an end for a while because I never know what to do with my day. I, I'm like, I should be drinking beer and watching football, but I, there's no bills on. And that just makes me a drunk wandering around my house, which isn't a good look. So instead, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be productive around the house with some football games on. I've got the Sunday ticket, so I'm allowed to watch a million different things. And I'm watching this Jets-Cleveland game because in my head, I was going to ignore it. And then I heard about the COVID hitting their wide receivers. And I said, OK, if Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback... He should be able to find a way to overcome this lack of playmaking talent to at least at least orchestrate something that looks like an NFL-caliber offense. Uh, what I was treated to was a Jets team that actually looked like it brought its lunchbox. I, I mean, I didn't watch the, the game against the Rams, but by all accounts, the Jets were firing on all cylinders for the majority of the game. In this one, I mean, the Jets led from wire to wire. And in for stretches, we're badly outplaying the Cleveland Browns. Where has this team been all season? <laughs> well, to be fair to Baker Mayfield, it's not just that he had practice squad caliber receivers. It's that he was told about it 12 hours before the game. So these are guys that he probably didn't even know, hadn't even met practically before the he signed out 12 hours before. Plus, 
He was missing arguably his two best offensive linemen, Wyatt Teller and Jedrick Wills. So you put that together and the fact that the Jets were able to remarkably stop one of the best running attacks in the league, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and really everything was working against Baker Mayfield. Now, that's not to say that he didn't shoot himself in the foot a few times. There were times where he would throw a ball into the dirt or whatever, but, boy, this was a really tough circumstance for any quarterback. Yeah, you have to look at that and say, where was this? Where was the pass rush all season? Now, again, they were missing two of their best offensive linemen, but still the Jets were missing Quinn and Williams, and yet they were able to get four sacks in this game. The interior defensive line was just, throwing the Browns' offensive line around. They shut down the running game. And on offense, look, they didn't really do a lot. The best pass of the game was thrown by Jamison Crowder, but they did enough that they were able to basically let their defense hold Cleveland and score enough points to get the victory. If they played like this more often, obviously they wouldn't be 2-13 at this point. But I think that's a big part of the problem with this team. They don't have a great team, but they should have at least been more competitive, and that speaks, of course, to the guy that's been the biggest villain of the season for Jets fans, Adam Gates. Okay, so so on that note, trick plays. I mean, this was my... I'm watching this unfold, and I'm going, I'm watching this team run trick plays for touchdowns. I'm watching them orchestrate some downfield passing. I'm watching them string... The, the rushing attack is starting to emerge a little bit. They're get, they're getting sustained drives, at least in the first half. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, if Adam Gase has had these pages in his playbook all year, I mean, were they just stuck together and he missed them? Or, I mean, am I crazy? Or are they were they finally dialing up stuff that was unique to what they've done all year? Well, it's kind of funny because I can't tell you how many times Jamison Crowder has been open for big plays or touchdowns, and either Darnold or Flacco just didn't see him or missed him or whatever. So I was saying, based on the throw that Crowder threw on the run, hitting Brexton Berrios in stride, if Crowder had been a quarterback and been throwing to himself all season, the Jets might actually be in the playoff hunt right now. So that's something that Gates probably should have tried earlier. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously getting a little bit creative and emptying out the playbook, and it's too little too late. If he'd have tried this earlier, as you said, they might have had better luck. Maybe they'd have a couple more wins. But ultimately, this is a tough pill to swallow, but a lot of this comes down to the fact that you have terrible coaching and terrible quarterback play for most of the way, and that's why the results have been what they were. This wasn't a good game for Sam Darnold. I know that he had a couple of of showy throws, mostly in busted coverage. This really was more a product of they they did just enough to get by on offense, and defensively they were able to really cause damage, especially considering what happened with those wide receivers and the offensive line for the Browns. So, yeah, they'd have been more competitive if they'd have played this way but they've still got problems that really need to be addressed, and obviously Gase is the one that's going to be addressed first. So with that in mind, you're talking about Sam Darnold. Now, you guys have cemented your future. And two questions. This win cemented the New York Jets as the runner-up in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes this season. Uh Just a week after the team inflamed the entire fan base by beating the struggling L.A. Rams. 
are fans a little less apoplectic after this game than they were at this time last week? Yeah, of course. I mean, there were still things to be gained by a loss here. For instance, with the tie, the Jets would have been picking first on day two and day three of the draft, which is actually pretty valuable. So they lost that by winning this game. But I think once the Jaguars got their butts kicked, because remember, in the first half, the Jaguars were tied, and they actually drove at the end of the half to potentially take the lead. So at that point, you're yelling and screaming at the TV, don't screw this up again, don't screw this up again. But then once the Bears took that big lead in the third quarter and you knew it was over, I think there was sort of a sigh of relief where you didn't have to go through this stressful ordeal anymore. I I think that now you've got to come to grips as a Jets fan with, it's over, team is picking number two, where do they go from here? And that's obviously the big question heading into the offseason, along with who the coach is going to be. Well, and so this, and so the, that's another part of my question here, because now that fans are kind of, they've kind of come down off their, off the ledge a little bit. In these two wins, do you think Darnold has shown enough that there's reason to believe building around him could work? Or is that looming payday of his and the lack of growth you've seen over the last couple of years, at least in your opinion, too much to overcome for a team to want to hitch its wagon to? And do you think that the team really would be better served seeking out quarterback help in this draft? Well, let's play this through. So with the way Darnold has played so far, there's no way that you can pick up that fifth-year option, which would be $25 million, right? So he's basically got one year left on his deal, given that scenario. So Darnold comes back, right? Now, again, considering how poorly he's played, you can't just hand him the job. It would be malpractice. Now, first of all, you also have to say the coach coming in is going to have a lot to say about whether or not Darrell uh, is the guy. So let's just say the coach isn't sold on Darrell necessarily, but also isn't sold on the quarterbacks in this draft. That would probably be the best-case scenario for Darrell if he wants to stay. Now you've got to go out and get somebody, a veteran, to compete with Darrell for the job. So let's just use Marcus Mariota as an example, and I think I said this last week, but you could pick whoever you want. There's a good chance Darnold doesn't win that job in training camp if you're talking about a coach who isn't tied to him. And so if that happens, now the Jets are really screwed because Darnold has no trade value, and he's done at the end of the year. What if he ends up being the starter, though, and he's not good? Well, he's gone now again. What if he's the starter and he's okay he's improved but he's not anything more than like solid well now you're in a situation where as you said you've got to pay him what 30 million dollars and you're still not entirely sure that he's the guy so if you bring Donald back and assume he's going to be your starter the only way that you win is if Donald breaks out and is awesome if that happens then you can franchise tag him and you can work out a long-term deal But that's really the only winning in this scenario. Consider the fact that you're sitting at number two in what's a pretty good quarterback class. You've got Zach Wilson for BYU. You've got Justin Fields from Ohio State. You've got Trey Lance from North Dakota State, who a lot of people aren't talking about, obviously because of the fact that he's only played one game because North Dakota State didn't play this year. But last year, he lit up college football. 
So he's a guy that is going to draw top 10 consideration too. You're at number two. You don't know where you're going to be sitting. A 22 quarterback class is going to look like. And remember, the last time the Jets were playing for a quarterback, it was 2017. They ended up picking six, had to trade three second rounders to get up to get a quarterback, still didn't know which quarterback they were going to ultimately be able to get. And then the quarterback they did get hasn't performed yet. So I think if there's a quarterback that they like at number two, whoever it is, whether it's Fields, whether it's Lance, whether it's Wilson, they should pull the trigger on that because you've got to play the odds on this. And really, considering everything I said about being in position to get a quarterback, whether or not you know you're going to like a quarterback in a future draft, and then what I said with Darnold, that really the only way that you win coming out of this is if he's awesome. Playing the percentages, you've got to make that move right now if you like one of these quarterbacks. And plus also, from what you hear, there are teams that are willing to give up something along the lines of a second-round pick for Darnold. If he comes in here and doesn't win the job or isn't all that good, you lose any potential trade value. If you get a guy that you like at number two, you move Darnold, you get yourself another second-round pick, and now you can build around the new guy on a rookie contract. So while I don't think it's impossible that Darnold can still become good, I think we have to be realistic about what his ceiling is now after all these games that he's played. You're probably looking at, at best, a plus version of Alex Smith. Is that enough to hang on to him and not pull the trigger on a quarterback at number two? To me, the only way that it makes sense to do that is if you either are incredibly convinced between Douglas and the new coach that Donald is going to have that breakout, or you just really don't like any of those quarterbacks that are going to be available to you at number two. But if you like one of those quarterbacks and you're, and you're not 100% lock, stock, and barrel convinced that Donald is going to become a star under a new coach, You've got to pick a quarterback at number two. The crazy part for you guys is that it's it's really going to come down to which quarterback gets picked at number two by you guys. It's really going right. to come down to whoever gets hired as head coach. And Chris, yeah, kind of like our friend Lou Brown, <laughs> Lou Brown, wouldn't it be funny if this winning streak that they're on at the end of the year somehow saves Adam Gase's job? Highly unlikely. <laughs> All right, I feel terrible. I feel terrible for even attempting to speak that into existence, sir. We appreciate your joining us and giving us your insight on the Jets. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys get going on at Play Like a Jet and where they can find you on social? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, by the way, Drew, about Gates. I actually have a podcast. We're recording this with you on Tuesday. I have a podcast coming out tomorrow, so by the time you hear this, it'll actually be up with Nick Spano, who's the CEO of U Stadium. And he's not a reporter or anything, but he's very plugged into agents and sources around the league. And he's got a source in the Jets' front office who feeds him information from time to time. And so he comes on my show whenever he's got something to talk about. He had a report at U Stadium the other day that Adam Gase is still 100% gone no matter what happens against the Patriots. And, in fact, Craig Carton from WFAN has come out and said that he also has a source that has said that Christopher Johnson has told people internally that Gase is gone. So, listen, anything's possible with this team. I wouldn't put it past them, but it seems like even the Jets aren't foolish enough to try and, and hang on to Gase because 
I'll tell you guys, I've seen a lot of things that would have driven Jets fans up a wall. I promise you that if Adam Gase was retained, that you would see about 30,000 people cancel their season tickets. So at least they're smart enough not to poke that bear. As far as Play Like a Jet, you can hear that podcast with Nick Spano, along with all the regular shows that we do, Joe Blewett breaking down the film, Michael Nania breaking down the advanced metrics, the analytics, and the stats, Andy Vasquez with the post-game report taking us inside the locker room after the game and recapping everything that goes on after these games, Brian Bassett, his friends, Travis Milton and Josh Conrad doing There's Always Next Year, which is a fun look at the Jets, and then they play some little games and just goof around, which is a nice change of pace. Midweek news with Chris Ryan from NJ.com, although that's going to be changing soon. An old friend of the podcast is returning, and I'm not going to say any more about it. He'll be coming back, one of my favorite guests. He's going to be covering the Jets again soon, so he'll be returning to the show next week. And then we do draft stuff, Connor Rogers and Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com come on the show a lot to break that down because that's going to be very important for Jets fans. You can find the show where you find all podcasts, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and I'm on Twitter. I play like a Jet One. And, guys, appreciate you having me on as always. And I will say that nothing made this loss feel less painful than hearing the voice of the legendary Lou Brown, Major League, one of my all-time favorite movies, so anytime you can use a clip from that, you should absolutely take the opportunity to do it. Appreciate the trio of guests that we had tonight. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Alfar Tiaga. It's good to you know what it's good to get the fan perspective of the Patriots at this point in time from, from Christian. His first I bet when I bet when they last had a losing season, Christian had hair. <laughs> look at him now. Folks, at Chris with a T-I-A-N. Go look at him now. Hey, that's what getting married will do to you. <laughs> yeah. He might have been bald before that, but I, I, I rest. I digress. You look at Week 17. The Week 17 outlook, it's division on divisional opponent crime. Home and homes, you got Miami and Buffalo, New England, and New York Jets. <sighs> For Buffalo and Miami, there's a lot at stake. For both teams. And it's going to be interesting to see what Buffalo's approach is to it. I mean, Vegas just pulled the line. I just saw it pop up on my phone. Vegas has pulled the line for the game because there's too much up in the air as to whether or not Buffalo will actually play. All of their starters, whether they're going to come to actually try to win that football game. It's going to be... That, that I think, is going to be... It's an interesting dynamic. It's something that we as Bills fans aren't used to. No, we're not. I mean, what, two years in a row we're resting, potentially resting starters? Yeah, we haven't done that since the 90s. Yeah, I I don't know what this is. For Miami, this is a must-win game. Your your survival in this postseason is on, like, in this season is on the line. And it's going to be interesting to see how they choose, like we talked about with Elf, how they choose to approach this. They've already said two is still the starter. How short is that leash, though? Very short. Uh, he, Elf, Elf still talks about having faith, but it's going to be interesting to watch play out. And for New England and the Jets, I think this is just kind of the, can we call it the sadness bowl? Yeah. Just a, just a game between two sad teams with sad fan bases, and I couldn't be happier about it. I could not be more thrilled to watch these two. Do you think New England 
takes the track of trying to start just start whoever to see what they have. Yeah, at this point, I think you start Jared, Jared Stidham, see what you got. Maybe try to throw a game, save your draft position. Yeah. I mean, or do they put Cam Newton out there and try to salvage what's left of his image? I mean, right now, he sure as hell isn't going to get you any compensatory picks. I don't know who would sign him to be a starter. No. Plus, there's a lot of more potential free agent quarterbacks this year with your Matt Ryan, your Matt Stafford, your Dak Prescott. But I'll take it a step farther. That's a conversation I, for another day. I don't know who would sign him to be a backup. No. Kind of as we talked about with Simonelli, what does he bring to the table that somebody else can't? You, I mean, The whole dynamic is skewed. It's going to be interesting to watch that one play out strictly from a petty, just like a petty, petty place. <laughs> it's going to be great. Folks, Big Week 17 and the playoffs to come. This has been fun. In this season, I think this AFC's roundup, just in the download numbers and in the amount of feedback we've gotten from, not even just from Bills fans, but from fans of other teams yeah. around the division who are now following us and listening to the shows and interacting with us. I love it. I think this was a huge success. Chris, I appreciate you taking a flyer on this idea with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for anything. So as long as it works and people like it and listen to it, you know, you heard that, ladies. Yeah. He's up for anything. Up for anything. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, as long as if you have an idea, if you have an idea that you want me to sit here and press record and listen to you complain about things, yeah. Awesome, guys. This has been a lot of fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. Thank you to our guests. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been your Week 16 AFC's Roundup. <laughs>